This is Sports Talk with Phil Cornblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network on a Wednesday night where we are just jammed up with so much stuff. In fact, I'm not even going to give the phone number, save your breath. No time for calls tonight. We'll get back on calls with you tomorrow night. We've just got so much to do. The Cliff Ellis story kind of threw us for a loop today in terms of our our plans for coverage because didn't know when we came down here that we'd be going to a press conference where he would be announcing his retirement. Quite a nice press conference, a lot of family and friends of his coming in to celebrate the day after his 78th birthday, one of the winningest coaches in the history of college basketball. He was going to retire at the end of the season, decided to go ahead and do it now. Nothing wrong with his health. He's as healthy as a horse. And he looks great. Looks like he could continue to coach for several more years. But the new way of life in college sports is just not for him. Uh, And I think maybe perhaps those of his era, it's not really for them. Not that he begrudges any players for making money. He's He's all into that. He's fine. He just hates a program like his that loses players to other schools, buying his players away from out and under him, forcing him to go do it to other schools, and it's just not something that uh, he cares to do. You know, he's made a great living coaching. He understands that. He's all for players getting money. He believes the players are the ones that really um, um, generate the money, and they deserve to get the money. So it's not the NIL so much for him as it is the transfer portal. He's going to join us live at the bottom of the hour. Uh, In this first half hour, in just a moment, uh, Matt Smith will join us from Little John Big showdown tonight, of course, Gamecocks and Tigers, a couple of 7-0 and teams up at Little John. Uh, Smitty will set the stage. Chris Bergen will be along in a moment. He and I were together over at the press conference. I was also at both practices at the Touchstone Energy Cooperatives Bowl north-south today. We'll give you some information from that. We've got recruiting coming up. Mario Anderson, is he in the transfer portal, John? Is he not? It's been reported that he plans to, but he hasn't yet. Apparently, there's a uh, there, there's he wants a certain amount of money, and South Carolina is offering a certain amount of NIL money. The two have not um, reached an agreement on that, and so if he doesn't, apparently, it's like you know, if the figure's not met, he's going to go into the portal, John. That's where that stands. But South Carolina uh, reportedly is going to get a visit from Rocket Sanders this weekend, the running back out of Arkansas, who. Uh, is a great talent, and he's reportedly going to visit South Carolina this weekend. So all that stuff continues to churn all over the country. We'll do recruiting here in the first half hour. Cliff Ellis at the bottom of the hour at um, 7.05. 7.05, we'll have uh, another edition of Hoopin' and Hollerin' tonight with Coach John Combs of the South Carolina Basketball Coaches Association. We'll talk high school basketball in South Carolina and also talk about the upcoming Bash 
High School Holiday Tournament. Brian Rosefield, AD at Ridgeview, will join us for that as well. Uh, Scott Early from the South Carolina uh, Athletic Coaches Association. They had an important press conference today as well, dealing with their ongoing efforts to fight opioid abuse among uh, high school kids. And he'll he'll join us to talk about that. And then SC Wild tonight. Major Billy Downer will be along, and he wants to talk waterfowl season tonight. He'll have a guest with him. So we are just loaded up, jammed up, totally full of it tonight right here on Sports Talk. Uh, let me um, update a couple things here from the Touchstone Energy Bone North-South game from being out at uh, the practices today. Practices began today. The South rosters had a number of changes due to illness and injury. So off the South roster, linebacker Seneca Moore of Crestwood, wide receiver Austin Cunningham of White Knoll, offensive lineman Landon Stradcutter of Stratford, offensive lineman J.T. Sewell of Gray Collegiate, place kicker Sam Crocker from Philip Simmons. The South team has added offensive lineman Dakari Sumter of Lower Richland. You talk about a human shadow maker, 6'7", 347. Also, they've added place kicker Chase Klein of Chapin. This is a kid after my own heart. He's going to Western Carolina on a golf scholarship. He's a plus three handicap. And he is a a student of George Bryan's. So we have a a fond feeling for him. On the north roster, defensive back Brandon Teamer out of Dorman suffered a leg injury in practice today. Don't know about his status uh, moving forward. So um, we will have to wait and see on that with him. Okay, that is that on that. Let's go up to Little John and get a first taste of things up there. Uh, Smitty is up in the clouds where the press box is located at Little John. I call it the Dan Radakovich suite for the media at Little John. But he has got the great assignment tonight to watch the Gamecocks and the Tigers, couple of undefeated teams. It should be passionate. It should be heated. It should be violent out on that basketball court, Smitty. I think it will be, and uh, guys, I'm not quite in Little John. They wouldn't let me in this early because it's a late tip, eight o'clock. Thank you, television. I don't, mm. I don't know what happened, but uh, they turned me away. I threw, I threw Phil's name out there. I threw Chris Bergen's name out there. I even dropped Cliff Ellis's name and said that I was a personal friend. Didn't, didn't work. Mm. Didn't take. So I'm just outside, but. I'll be very brief tonight because I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say with Cliff Ellis. Not every day that a 900-win coach steps away from the game, but I'm just outside of where Cliff Ellis had 177 of those victories at Little Giant Coliseum. And like you said, Corn, I expect it to be lit tonight. Both coaches, however, have downplayed the rivalry aspect heading into the game, really talking more about how they want to continue to grow as teams Well, what we've seen from both of these teams so far, and everybody that's watched them play knows this, it goes through P.J. Hall and through Michi Johnson and B.J. Mack for South Carolina. Now, I'll tell you, an X factor tonight might be Joseph Gerard III for Clemson because his ability to shoot the three. If you think about coming into the game, let's imagine you're out on the floor with B.J. Hall, and he's got that full arsenal going. Hooks with both hands, the ability to put it on the deck, step to the outside, score from the inside. Okay, 
you have to dedicate personnel. Everybody has his eyes on him. Well, not only now does he have Chase Hunter as a running partner, but he's got Joseph Girard, a sharpshooter, a true sharpshooter, high IQ transfer. He's been the perfect fit so far. He has been absolutely the straw stirring this drink, the cherry on the cocktail for Clemson in that 7-0 start. And on the other side, if you're South Carolina, it's very similar because B.J. Mack has really been a godsend for Lamont Paris. I think the question now for South Carolina against Clemson is, can B.J. Mack kind of handle P.J. Hall one-on-one when when Hall is, is on the offensive end, and can he make him work on the other end? Because one thing that's happened this season is when Clemson's not been at their best, they've won every game, but when they're not at their best, Hall's been on the sideline with foul trouble. He's averaging just 28 minutes per game. Now, that's in part because, you know, he's coming off injuries. Brandon I wanted to bring him along slowly, but also – he, you know, when he's playing 21 points per game in 28 minutes, he's been unstoppable. But he has been saddled by foul trouble, and that's something to watch for. Can B.J. Mack, who is a true offensive threat for South Carolina, four of eight three-pointers uh, against George Washington, can he force P.J. Hall to defend him on the other end and get his heart rate up so he's not as effective on the other end? South Carolina, eight-and-a-half-point underdogs, but I think that's the matchup to start with. Hall and Mack, if it's a mismatch and Hall is too quick for Mack on the other end and South Carolina has to dedicate personnel, now we talk about the X factor, Joseph Girard. That's when he comes into play, and that's when we start talking about Michi Johnson for South Carolina if P.J. Hall goes to the bench and Clemson has to dedicate personnel to defending B.J. Mack in the painted area. All right, Smitty, thanks. We'll let you get settled in there at the arena. Remind folks to follow Smitty on our Twitter at Sports Talk SC, or I guess I should say our X. Follow Smitty on our X at sportstalksc.com. And also the post game, you'll hear from the coaches on our website, sportstalksc.com. We welcome in Chris Bergen from the Bergy Palace. Good seeing you, my friend, over at Coastal today. And let's turn our attention, before we go to the break, let's turn our attention to your thoughts on what Cliff Ellis had to say today. You probably know Cliff of anybody in the media. You work uh, closer with him because you're with him every game, pregame, postgame. So your take on what happened and what he had to say. I was surprised that he decided to retire right now, but his explanation made a lot of sense. He wanted to give Benny Moss an opportunity to maybe take this program and move it forward. I was taken aback, though, by his comments, and not because I didn't see them coming. I was just interested to find out how dedicated he is to fixing both NIL and the transfer portal. I've talked to him at length the past couple of years about how it's affected his team. I mean, look over the landscape of college basketball. Coastal has its point guard sitting on the bench at South Carolina right now trying to uh, rehab an injury in Ibrima Diba. They lost uh, Devontae Jones, one of the outstanding players in the Sun Belt, to Michigan. This past season, they lost two of their starters in uh, both uh, Josh Duje and also Isam Mustafa going to Power 5 or other programs because of money. And Cliff Ellis came out today and basically said, look, I'm retiring from basketball, but I am not retiring from the world. And my mission, and he said that several times today, Phil, my mission is helping Coastal Carolina maneuver through this. And what he was referencing is the current makeup of the NCAA transfer portal and also name, image, and likeness. He begged Congress because it was obvious, Phil, I think you probably got the same sense. He was not talking to those of us just in the room. 
This press conference was carried via ESPN Plus, and he was hoping to reach out through those viewers to somebody who has the ear of a congressman or the NCAA, and he basically begged Congress to get involved with this. I hope that doesn't happen because I just don't think Congress can fix this problem. They can't fix many things. But I will say I I was very interested in what he had to say. We actually have a little clip that we may play right before Coach comes on the air with us live about how he is exactly going to tackle this moving forward. He is going to be an ambassador for Coastal Carolina Athletics in a different route. He's been the guy who's led that basketball program 16-plus years, but now he's going to go, and it's not going to be behind the scenes. He made that very obvious. It is going to be out front and vocal because he does not see it as a sustainable model right now with what's going on with the transfer portal nor the NIL, and I think it's something that all of us on the program would agree with. We can't continue going down this path and keep college athletics the way it is. You nailed it, That's, and he was. We're going to play that little clip before he joins us live at six thirty-five because it was quite good. We're going to jump to the break, and when we come back, we're going to give you the recruiting report tonight because we've got uh, a lot of information to share with you there. So we want to do that before we get to Coach Ellis and move on into other aspects of the uh, of the show tonight. So uh, that'll be coming up in just a moment as we go to the break. Remind you that uh, boy, it's, it's beautiful. The, the, it is beautiful here at the beach. Uh, come down and watch high school football. 70 degrees on Saturday. No rain. No nice. rain. So get on down here, and then while you're here, go by and see Jimmy Smith and let Jimmy show you some things that you might want to uh, stay in for the spring of the summer. You're thinking about your vacation. Uh, go over to Pauly's right at the corner of uh, Litchfield and Pauly's, right at that border. Jimmy's office is right there. Or just give him a call at 843-237-4246 online at paulysvacationrentals.com. Let Jimmy and the staff work with you to find something that fits your budget and fits your space needs. You might have a small family or you might have a huge family and you need a lot of space, need a lot of bedrooms, need a lot of bathrooms, need a big kitchen. They can handle all that for you. 843-237-4246. We're back with the recruiting report. More coming up here on Sports Talk. Be right back. The stars do shine brighter at the beach as some of the best senior high school football players in South Carolina will be on display Saturday in the 76th annual Touchstone Energy Cooperative Bowl. This is Phil Kornbluth. Be sure to join us for our broadcast starting at noon from Doug Shaw Memorial Stadium. We'll have it all from kickoff to postgame, plus the announcement of Mr. Football at halftime. That's the Touchstone Energy Cooperative Bowl this Saturday at noon on the Sports Talk Media Network. South Carolina's taste buds have spoken, and they're asking for beef. There are more than 7,800 farms raising cattle from pasture to plate in the Palmetto State. So whether it's steaks on the grill before the big game, sirloin medallions plated for date night, or burgers with a family, make sure beef is a part of your playbook this football season. Smoke, grilled, and slow-roasted. Find the best way to enjoy your beef at SCCattle.org. Beef. It's what's for dinner in South Carolina. Funded by the South Carolina Beef Council, part of the Beef Checkoff Program.
I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. Hi, this is Major Billy Downer, and coming up tonight at 7.30, it's another edition of SC Wow from the Department of Natural Resources on the Sports Talk Media Network. The lottery is not about getting rich. It's about helping people, and it always has been. The lottery is what helped raise the Great Wall of China, build the roads of Rome, and today in South Carolina, it's what generates millions of dollars each year for scholarships like the SC Hope, Life, and Palmetto Fellows. The South Carolina Education Lottery is investing in you. Visit sceducationlottery.com slash better you to learn more. Your home is where your memories live. It's where you laugh and where you love. We understand the importance of the valuables under your roof, tangible and intangible alike. So no matter what's around the corner, we'll be there, offering you and your family the support that's made Farm Bureau Insurance a trusted name for nearly 70 years. You deserve more. You deserve a promise. Learn more at scfbins.com. Call me, Alex Satterfield, at 803-749-9171 for all of your Midlands insurance needs. George Bryant here for Tsunami Bar Sports, and some say the fun is in the winning. I say the fun is in the training. And Tsunami Robbie, what do you say? George, we all know you get more done when you're having fun. This technology is different, it's engaging, but it's also a lot of fun to use. Hi, this is Phil Kornblut. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any Tsunami Bar order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait, order today. Let's dive in the recruiting report brought to you by Sea Wells, and you can dive, I mean, dive head first into a Sea Wells buffet tomorrow. It's going to be big. It always is big at Seawells, 11 to 2 for the daily luncheon buffet. Get over there and enjoy and eat yourself silly. You know, be like be like the Romans in those old movies. Remember the the old movies when they had the Romans uh, and they would sit back and they'd have uh, some women behind them with the um uh with the fans made out of feathers, you know, they'd be doing that in the in the the Roman gods would be eating the grapes and all the beef mm-hmm. and all that. And that's what you do at, at Sea Wells. You just sit back and find somebody to to fan you while you you fill up with the great buffet. And it's only fourteen dollars. It's a lot cheaper than it is uh, being in Rome. Uh, and if you need the very best in the catering business, I don't know where I was going with all that, but I went down that road. If you need the very best in the catering business, the folks at Sea Wells, they answer that call. They'll answer your call at 803-771-7385 online at SeaWellsCateringSC.com. So Mario Anderson, the USC running back, transferred from Newberry before last season, proved he could play at the SEC level. Uh, now he wants to get paid. And uh, he in South Carolina, apparently, according to whoever you want to believe and read and listen to, they're at odds over how much. 
Uh, they have not uh, come to that uh, agreement yet, and it was reported first today by uh, Pete Nakos of On3 that uh, he was expected to enter the portal, John. When I see that, I take that as meaning you're going in. Then came reports, West Mitchell, Gamecock Central, that this was not over yet. He had not entered the portal, John. Negotiations continue. So I haven't seen where Anderson has announced anything. Uh, so that 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 is still kind of hanging out there. You know, here we go. This is what it's come down to. It's come down to negotiations for a lot of these uh, situations. In the meantime, offensive lineman Grayson Maines is in the portal. He announced that. It gives the Gamecock 16 in the portal, John, and four planning to be in the draft. Meantime, the Gamecocks are expected to host Arkansas running back Rocket Sanders' official visit this weekend, a source has told 24-7 Sports. USC's remaining very active in the portal, as you might imagine, with official visits. Gamecock Central reported that Pitt transfer defensive tackle DeAndre Jules will make an official on December the 12th. Gamecock Central also reported Coastal Carolina receiver Jared Brown will take an official visit this weekend. And would another- be a good get for them. Excuse me, Phil. That would be a good get. Jared Brown is an incredible receiver and in insane speed. Listen to you using recruiting vocabulary a good get <laughs> he would be for the Gamecocks especially no, trying to fill up their, their wide receiver room I'm proud of you maybe we can pass Thank the you. recruiting mantle over to you one day no sir no 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 well you start well if you're going to speak the language a good get <laughs> be a good get uh, another receiver set to visit USC this weekend per Gamecock Central Louisiana Tech transfer Cyrus Allen USC target Harvard transfer tight end Tyler Neville, offered by UCLA, he went to Virginia last weekend. He's scheduled to visit USC this weekend per 24-7 sports. USC offered Indiana transfer receiver Donovan McCulley. He's 6'5", 200. USC offered Ball State transfer tight end Brady Hunt, 6'6", 249. Came in as a quarterback, missed all of this season with a foot injury. He said he might visit USC next weekend. USC offered Michigan State transfer offensive guard Kevin Wigginton, 6'5", 320. They offered San Jose State transfer offensive tackle Fernando Carmona Jr., 6'5", 314. USC is also among the several P5 offers for Vanderbilt transfer receiver Will Shepard. USC is in the top six with 2025 receiver Jaden Anderson of Virginia Beach with Virginia Tech, Tennessee, Maryland, Auburn, and West Virginia. Cardinal Newman running back Cortez Lane was offered by North Carolina A&T. And visiting USC this weekend will be Gerald Kilgore, transfer defensive back from Tennessee Tech, 6 feet 202. He's the brother of the Gamecocks' breakthrough freshman safety, Jalon Kilgore. Needless to say, but then why say it, Corn? The two would like to play together, and this is that opportunity the older brother getting the opportunity to move up with his football career, and he's excited about that. He had 37 tackles, two-and-a-half tackles for loss, and five pass deflections. He thinks he can play at the SEC level. So does Torian Gray, or they wouldn't have offered him. He is going to visit West Virginia next weekend just to have something to compare. But if everything goes well this weekend, I would think it would be most likely the case that he's going to end up committing to South Carolina to play with his brother. 
there you go with recruiting for now, but we'll uh, keep checking stuff and pass along anything else that might pop up. Uh, the other news of the day, the Panthers announced that they are no longer going to hold training camp at Wofford. I know some see this as a slight at uh, – the slide of South Carolina, but others will say this is a trend of NFL teams to hold their training camps at their home facilities right there in their own backyard. Your take? Well, I think, and I'm, I'm looking at Pat on the uh, StreamYard, our video feed, and I think Pat's got a Panthers hat on tonight, and he's got it on backwards. That's pretty much how I feel about them now. I mean, they are doing everything they can to turn their backs on the state of South Carolina. First off, you screw up the situation with the uh, new training center in Rock Hill. That was a debacle, to say the least. Now you say, well, you know what? We're not going to train down at Wofford. I know that's where you were always trained, and that's where you started, but we're going to move out of South Carolina as best we can. So just change the name to the Charlotte Panthers because that's clearly what David Tepper wants. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Call them the, the Queen City Panthers. Charlotte <laughs> Panthers. That's fine with me. I always I prefer having teams named after cities versus regions personally. Okay, we'll hit the break. Uh, Cliff Ellis coming up when we come back. Don't go away. Along with everything else going on today, it's a day to celebrate the coaching career of Cliff Ellis in the state of South Carolina. He impacted two major programs in our state, of course, Clemson and, of course, Coastal Carolina, but also impacted college basketball all over our state and across the country with his uh, other stops at Cumberland and South Alabama and at uh, Auburn. He was a winner. Uh, every step along the way, and of course, of course, uh, coaching at uh, clinics and speaking and all that, uh, he has spread the word, his gospel of college basketball across the country. He's going to join us live in just a moment, but uh, Chris and I were at the press conference today on the Coastal Carolina campus, and Coach Ellis gave a very eloquent uh, speech, uh, thanked everybody he could think of from family to friends to cohorts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then he, he turned really serious. He turned really serious after saying that uh, his plan was to retire at the end of the season anyway, but now was a good time to step aside so he could concentrate on other things. But it wasn't the game itself that drove him out. It's not the, uh, not the desire to win more games, uh, not the hurt from losing games. That – that didn't drive him out. It's the new outside elements that did. Here is a piece of what he had to say, and then we'll bring him up live. Cliff Ellis. Now, a huge reason for all this is the transfer portal in the NIL. It's on an unsustainable path for intercollegiate athletics. It is. We've lost key players the last three years. I'm a teacher of the game, but lately when I teach and the player peaks, somebody comes and takes them. I've faced many challenges in these 50-plus years, and this is the first challenge I've not been able to overcome. 
I do very much agree, and I want everybody to understand this, that college athletes deserve compensation. Coaches, universities, conferences, the NCAA benefit insanely from the economic success that college athletics has created, and the players rightly deserve some compensation for being the major creators of the success. But there has to be a cap somewhere on all this, and there has to be transparency. As with all unbridled economic development, the possibility for unfair advantage and fraud and underhanded misuse of the intended purpose of the structure exists today. I'm seeing and hearing all kinds of horror stories. I mean, millions and millions of dollars for a quarterback seems insane to me. We have the NFL. We have the NBA. A few years ago, universities giving a t-shirt could invite an investigation. Now several million dollars might get you a quarterback. Come on. I hear players transferring understanding they were going to get a certain amount of money to go in and find out that they didn't get the kind of money they thought they were going to get or were told to get. Now players are suing universities. Players are at today, they're suing universities. Where are we going? Where are we going? The past few years I felt like a general manager looking at the draft board for available players and realizing if we don't have money in a collective, we will not have much success. Well, right now we don't have any money. We don't. I will continue to spend the rest of this year and whatever other time it takes needed to help CCU maneuver through this landscape. It is now my mission to explore ideas and methods for addressing the changes that are occurring. I'm going to serve as consultant with the coaching staff and with these players through the end of the year. Carolyn and I will continue to serve the community with our foundation. Our mission is to help at-risk kids on the Grand Strand. Last night, we helped host an event for kids that are at risk. Fifteen years ago, when us, along with several other people, started this, we raised $8,000. A year ago, we raised $190,000. That's what kind of community we have. Today, and most importantly, I am calling on Congress, the NCAA, and all who have influence in the arena of college athletics to mend the damage created by the sudden an unfettered introduction of the transfer portal and NIL and its funding into college athletics. Case Britain's here. You're with the legislator here. There's state laws. Start working on it. Help us. Help us. Solutions may include some type of cap on player compensation. Certainly transparency in all transactions and on revenue sharing. We need to know what everybody else is doing. Nobody knows what anybody's doing.
All right, comments of Coach uh, Cliff Ellis from earlier today at his press conference. And, uh, Chris, he was very passionate, very passionate about what he was saying. And you could hear that in his voice, that this was something near and dear uh, to his heart, um, dealing with the the issues that have been created by the transfer portal in particular. You heard him say, that the money side of it to him is not the big issue. It's the issue of the transfer portal and losing players that he helped coach and develop over the years. Oh, absolutely. And I can go, I mentioned this earlier, I could go through just the last three years alone, the last three or four years and say, you know what, I could come up with a Sunbelt all-first team with guys like Devontae Jones and Ibrahim Adiba and Joshua Duje and Isam Mustafa. That's just recent names that come to mind who have all left Coastal after being developed by the Coastal program to go on and, and explore better opportunities for them. And, there, you know, there's nothing wrong with people wanting to improve their lot in life. But what I think Coach Ellis wants to see, and he brought this point up several times, was transparency with regards to, all right, fine, you want to pay NIL money? That's fine. Just let us know. You know, what is South Carolina paying? What what can Coastal pay? What is Clemson paying? What is North Carolina paying? No one knows. And that that was as big a beef with him. And this has been boiling under the surface for a long, long time with him. And I think he just wanted to use today's retirement uh, message to say, look, I may be done coaching basketball, but I am certainly not done uh, attacking what I feel is a, a wrong in the NCAA that needs to be fixed. We'll have Coach with us momentarily. I uh, gave Pat the wrong number. Sorry about that, Pat. The correct number is now on the sheet. Jeez. <laughs> I was just trying to make it through one hour without a mistake. I almost made it, uh, but Good not news quite. is Coach Combs is ready. Coach, He'll be ready to join us. Coach Combs is ready, and now we have Coach Ellis standing by as well. Well, tell Coach Combs we'll call him back in uh, about 20 minutes. No sense him holding on. But we do have Cliff Ellis with us now. And, Coach, it's great to have you with us. Uh, we just played some of your comments from today, the ones, uh, those comments in particular about uh, what you're going to be doing related to uh, NIL and the transfer portal. But before all that, uh, just your thoughts now on this day, the day after your 78th birthday, and knowing that your coaching days are over. Well, it's real, uh, but at the same point in time, uh, you have to look at, you know, what the you know, wh- where you are in life. I turned 78 yesterday. Uh, selfishly, I could have continued and tried to coach a few more games and win a few more games. But, you know, that's what I, I, I don't need to do, and I don't need to prolong this. I wanted to make sure that my coaches had a chance to move forward and take over this situation and show what they can do. Uh, and then it gives me a chance to kind of um, – you know, focus on my mission right now, which is to try to get try to get a voice into this transfer portal and NIL business. I mean, it's just uh, anyway. It, it was just time. I feel it was just it was just time. I it, you know it, it's uh, you know it hit me a couple of weeks ago, and and it's been festering ever since. And it was just time. And it's hard to explain that uh, mm-hmm. because I've had people tell me that when the time comes, you will know it. And I said, well, heck, you know, I was 72 years old. I felt it. You know, most people say when you're 65, well, heck, my goodness alive, I, I just keep going and keep going. And 
I can tell you two summers ago, nah, no, nah, no. Nah. But, you know, something happened this summer. Uh, well, when the transfer portal came along in the NIL, the first year I said, I'll overcome it. You know, we we started losing good players. And, uh, you know, you start losing Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year and this stuff. And it and and you start teaching and and they peak, and then they leave you, and you you say well you know Cliff you're no longer a teacher you're a general manager, you're you know what's on the board you you know what's on the draft board here so yeah it just wasn't me uh, that's just not the way that I've coached and, and all the changes the three point shot the shot clock uh recruiting all that but this one is one that i just i just am concerned about the game i'm concerned about college athletics and uh something's got to change period do so you think I, I, do you think pe- people up the chain of command and you were reaching out to uh, politicians you were reaching out to congress you mentioned a legislator who was in the audience yeah. today I mean, they got a lot of big fish to fry. Is there is there an opening there for them to uh, look at this and address it? Well, I think for us to check, we're in, as I said today, we're we're on an unsustainable path for intercollegiate athletics. Everybody loves college athletics. They love their team. They love the game. They love this. But I'm telling you, the response I get, fans are becoming less interested. Uh, the game is weakening. Uh, you know, kids are going, kids can be at two or three schools. Uh, it's just something has to be done. And uh, if Congress, because that's where you can get things done, and the NCAA and whomever doesn't come up with something, I think, this is my opinion, I think the game is going to be ruined. Uh, you know, certainly it'll stay there, but it's going to be it's going to be where people, you know, will rather watch something else. I, mm-hmm. And I just I don't want to see that. You know, but and I'm for now listen, I, I'm, I'm 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 for players getting compensation. I I want to make sure that I you know that 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 is understood uh, with regards to this because. You know, they are the main faction uh, in, you know, the reason for all the success. If you, when you take the fact that, uh, you know, coaches are getting all the, you know, money that they get in university, the NCAA, uh, they're, they're benefiting from, from this economic success that's really been created by the players uh, that are doing so well, and they deserve something. But if we don't have a cap somewhere on all this, and there has to be transparency, nobody feel knows what anybody's doing. Nobody knows what X school is doing. And you know, it used to be a few years ago, a university giving a T-shirt can invite an investigation. <laughs> I'll never forget this. I will never forget this. I was in my office at Clemson University. There was a lightning storm outside the school. My wife was there, and I had a young man who was a player, and there's no way I was, we were going to let him go. My wife gave him a ride 
three blocks to the dorm. The next page in the Char- next day in the Charleston Post and Courier headlines: Wife gives ride to a player. A few <laughs> years ago, a university given a T-shirt could invite an investigation. Now, several million dollars to get you a quarterback. Come on! I mean, give me a break. Where are? I mean, these are horror stories. You got players that are transferred transferring because they're told they're going to get a certain amount of cash. There's no signed agreement. Hey, we're going to give you $500,000. I know of a story where a kid got $250,000 for his first six months. They tell me, and and, and he played. And he, at the end of the six months, he played. And that was his last year. He was a grad transfer. And he wanted his other $250,000. He said, well, we said $500,000 for the year, but you only played six months. Now he's suing the university. These are horror stories. Come on. If we don't get something around this, it's going to ruin the game. So, anyway, well, I'm going to spend the rest of, of this year and whatever time I have to help CCU move, maneuver it, you know, whatever. Clemson, I mean, I, I'm just, it's just something's got to be done, and I feel it's time that, you know, action take, and it's going to take Congress. You know, it's going to take the NCAA. It's going to take all who can influence the arena of college athletics to mend the damage created by the sudden and unfettered introduction of the transfer portal in NIL. Funding into college athletics. I mean, solutions have got to come up. And uh, even our state government, they jump in. Case Burton, who was a legislator today, I told him, I said, even the state. We got to jump in. Something's got to be done, or this game's going to be ruined. And as I said, you don't know what X school is doing. Let's say Texas. You don't know how much. Nobody knows what the other guy's doing. There's, there's got to be some transparency, and uh, and, and that that that's it. So, anyway. well, let's spend a moment while we've got you reflecting on a fantastic career. Of over 900 wins, 46 seasons, I believe, over 900 wins total. Uh, top 10 all-time NCAA Division One wins, over 800 wins there. You won a regular season championship in at all four of your schools that you coached at in Division One. You went to the tournament at all four schools. You were the number one seed when you were at Auburn. You won an ACC regular season championship at Clemson, which was unheard of at the time, and still is pretty much, though they might do it this year. So when you reflect on your coaching career, what are you most proud of? Well, uh, all of it. Uh, I think, without question, winning an ACC championship at Clemson, nobody ever thought that was going to happen. I mean, my gosh. I mean, I, I had people tell me, don't you take that job. It's a death trap. And my gosh, but if you get Eldon Campbell and you get Dale Davis and you get people like Horace Grant, you get people like Sharon Wright and Chris Whitney, you're going to win some games. And we were able to do that. The same thing in Auburn. I like the fact that I pioneered the Sunbelt Conference even being started. I was one of, you know, a few people that started that league. And uh, it exists today because of several of us that got together and decided to put a conference together, and we were on a mission. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that 
you know, I love the fact that Coastal Carolina, that we played Clemson twice and beat them. Auburn beat them because I coached at those schools. Mm-hmm. South Alabama and beat them. Go to West Virginia. <laughs> this is unbelievable now. Think of this. Bob Huggins, West Virginia. Pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty good, right? Set the record for most points scored. 109 points. <laughs> what, a few years? What, three or four years? You know, uh, LSU beat them twice. At Coastal Carolina? I love that. <laughs> but but I'm a builder, and this transfer portal in NIL, you know, if you give me a shot at it, you may have the odds, but you know, if you've got $2 million and i got zero, you know, I can't go to a sword fight with a butter knife, and we just don't have enough. We just don't have the money. <laughs> you know, we don't have the money. We don't yeah. have the money. You know, it's not Coastal Fall. It's not – I mean, it's just the way it is. And uh, so I'm just uh, – it's, it's just time. It's just time for me to reflect. Let's just see what develops here in time. I'm not going to – Right off in the sunset, and just go play golf and do all that. I'll figure something out, but I, mm. you know, it's just it's just time here. Cliff Ellis announcing his retirement as head men's basketball coach at Coastal Carolina earlier today. With us here tonight on Sports Talk, and uh, coach, somewhat of a similar question to what Phil asked you in terms of memories that you've been able to foster over your years in coaching. The last couple of weeks, I've noticed a lot of your colleagues coming up to you. As a matter of fact, we were doing a pregame interview when uh, Pat Kelsey came by and wanted to jump on and talk about the influence you have given to him. The other night, Greg Marshall came over to talk to you, and Gene Cady was was at the press conference today. When you see your peers and colleagues in the coaching oh. profession come up to you, what what sort of message does that send to you? Oh, just how great the game has been. And, you know, you can compete against these guys, but there's such a bond. And then when you have someone that gives you the respect and you give them the respect and it just connects, it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, still today, Coach K, Bobby Crimmins, Dave Odom, uh, Jim Laranaga, the guys from the old, we still connect. We talk. I mean, I talked to Mike this week. I talked to Bobby this week. They all checked. You know, all were checking on me, Tubby Smith calling, because, you know, we all talked, and then and they knew what was coming. We all talk about it. How, how you doing? What you think? How you like in retirement? And I trust them. And just that bond, I will tell you, that bond during ACC days, Oh, man. We battled unbelievable, unbelievable. But we all, when the season was over, we all would get together at the ACC meetings in Myrtle Beach. We'd go out. You know, we'd go out to dinner. There's one night that we all went out to 2001 in Myrtle Beach. And I'll just show you. And this was a long time ago. But Crimin says, Ellis is singing tonight. And I said, no way, I'm not doing it. We had everybody but Dean there. We had everybody but Dean there. And I said, all right, there's only one way that we're going to do this. You know, we only one way. If I get up there, I'm not making a fool of myself by myself. You're going to get up there. Those got up, guys got up there, and they were my background singing that. If you don't think that wasn't something, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim, Jim Balvano, uh, you know, Gary Williams, Dave Odom, Terry Holland, uh, Pat Kennedy. Dean was the only guy that wasn't there. And I, but you don't see that anymore. You don't see that anymore. You know, you just don't see it. 
and the trans, all those guys that you mentioned, they're just great friends and the camaraderie that is there. I just love it. And I've got the same in Big South. I just heard from Greg Nybert just a little bit a while ago, you know, mm-hmm. those days. And I've heard from all of a sudden, just amazing. And, and I'm glad that I made that impact. Certainly something was beneficial to them for them to reach out like that. And that, you know, if you, uh, you know, my trinity in life is three things, love, care, and serve. If you love and, and family, friends, you know, the game, if you care about your friends, family, game, if you serve your game, your family, what a great life. And that's what I've tried to live by. And I haven't lived it to the fullest, I can tell you. I mean, I've, I've had my I've had my weaknesses, but that that's been my trinity, and that's what I've tried to live by. And hopefully, it's reflected on all the people that I've come by, and and uh, it's just been a great journey. And and you know, it's time for next step. I'm not stopping. I can tell you that. Some I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. <laughs> Let me ask you this: We got about thirty seconds. So, do you sit in the stands next to your wife and watch her? No. With the officials, I will or... be up. No, 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 no. We will be up. My office looks down on the on the floor. I will be there. I'll have my phone with me. If the coaches, I will be at practice tomorrow. We'll not be running practice. I will be there. I want those players and coaches to know that I'm here. If you need me, call me. I'll be upstairs, but I'm not interfering. But don't you want to sit with the wife uh, and, and holler at the <laughs> officials? <laughs> God, she's something else. Now, oh, my Lord, I told her, I said, I'm trying to be nice to these guys. You're killing me. She's into hey, it. We got it. We, we have hit the top. We congratulate yeah. you on everything. Thanks yeah, for being Thanks, with Coach. us. We'll be right back. Cliff Ellis. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. On this Wednesday night, we've had a great mix of football and basketball tonight here on the program. And we're going to continue with more basketball talk here in this hour of the program, this half hour of the program. Reminder, SC Wild, SC Wild comes up at the bottom of the hour. Coach Billy Downer. Coach Billy Downer. Major Billy Downer. i got coaches on my mind. Major Billy Downer. Uh, will be with us, and uh, he'll be talking about waterfowl season. He'll have a special guest. But basketball tonight, of course, USC at Clemson. On the men's side, the USC women are hosting Morgan State tonight. And Wofford is playing at Gardner-Webb, and Florida A&M is playing at Presbyterian. And we've got uh, Wake Forest is leading Rutgers 39-33. Uh, as we get underway with some college basketball, that USC game against Clemson on the ACC Network will tip off at uh, 8 o'clock. Here on Wednesday nights during the basketball season, 
It's our pleasure to uh, do a little hooping and hollering, little hooping and hollering with Coach John Combs, Athletics Director over at Spring Valley and the Director of the South Carolina Basketball Coaches Association. Coach Combs, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Phil. How are you doing tonight? Man, we're talking a lot of hoops. You got to like that, huh? Oh, it was great. Your interview with uh, Coach Ellis was fantastic. Thank you for bringing that. Uh, he certainly has had a major impact on South Carolina basketball in, at many different levels. I, I, I wonder how many coaches have got as many Division One wins in South Carolina as him. If there's too many people who've got more than he does. I mean, he's a legend here for sure. Absolutely. I want to ask you about that as a former um, high school uh, coach in South Carolina for many, many years and dealing with the college coaches in the state. What kind of relationship have you or did you find exists between high school coaches in the state uh, and the college coaches across the state in general? Well, every college program is very different. Um, some are more active than, than others. Uh, coach Ellis always made his staff available to us when we had coaching clinics and different things uh you know coach lamont paris uh has been has been good and coach brad brownell from clemson's also been good i mean i think college coaches recognize there's a lot of good talent in this state so i I think it's uh it's been it's been really good well we've kind of hit that part of the high school basketball season you know we're just kind of getting underway uh and we're coming up on holiday uh tournaments all across the country and with that in mind, right in uh, y'all, your backyard, our backyard in Columbia, we got one of the big ones nationally, the annual bash uh, taking place uh, in the next uh, couple of days over at Ridgeview High School. And we have uh, Coach Brian Rosefield from Ridgeview joining us as well, the AD over there. So I thought you two guys could, as, as they say, chop it up about high school basketball and high school basketball tournaments for a couple of minutes. Brian, how are you? Doing fantastic. Glad to be on. You know, I owe John Combs a lot. Yeah, y'all realize that uh, he hired me here to Ridgeview many, many, many years ago. So, uh, again, publicly, thank you, John Combs. <laughs> well, I, I now owe you a lot after that, those nice words for sure. Um, I owe you a lot because you did a great job helping us, uh, you know, get things going there at Ridgeview High School and always you know, did a, it's done a phenomenal job growing and creating uh, the bash to what it is today. Uh, Brian, the, that, but... yeah, Brian, the, the bash is back, and uh, it actually starts tomorrow. So things start to cook uh, at your place tomorrow, December 7th through the 9th. And this has become a, a huge event. Uh, you're bringing in some outstanding teams from uh, all across the country. As I look at the roster of teams, uh, St. Francis of Texas, Oak Hill Academy, uh, Canyon International Academy out in Arizona, uh, not to mention uh, some of the local schools, Blythewood, Ridgeview, et cetera. How do you feel about the field this year? How excited are you that the bash is back for another year? You know, Phil, we're super excited, and and I know we were talking a little bit last night and just to to keep uh pumping up coach combs the vision that he and coach gordon had comes do you remember how many years ago was it 15 years ago now when y'all started doing these weekend shootouts do you remember it was a long it's a long time ago it was probably (laughs) 08 09 10 somewhere right around there yeah yeah so for for them to 
lay the groundwork and then for Bojangles to jump on 11 years ago and for seven years we had it as the Bojangles bash but now as just the bash I don't want to say just the bash Phil but you you rattled off a lot of those teams that are coming in from around the country uh it was that work that was started many many years ago that has these teams wanting to come and you mentioned St. Francis out of Texas they have a, a top 40 kid Nigel Walls that people really want to see they'll be here three nights uh, they reached out to us like that's one of those that we have just done a great job of creating great experiences for players, coaches, and fans. And Coach Baber reached out and said, hey, we need to play an event. We've seen it online. We want to come. It looks awesome. And, again, Phil, you just rattled off a lot of those teams that are that are coming. And, actually, right now up at the gym, we have Long Island Lutheran right now finishing up their practice. So a, a top-five team. I think they're number two in the country right now. But it's loaded oh with talent, eight of uh, eight of the top 115 players are on that team, I think. So, wow. again, just whatever <laughs> what what we've been able Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, Joe Pollock, who uh, does a great job of helping us out here, still he saw the team walk in. He said, he said Brian, that's the tallest team I've ever seen. He walked through the gym here. I said, I, I agree with you. It's the legitimate number two team in the country right now and uh, led by Coach Buck. But, yeah, it's uh, the, the full schedule is at the Bash Hoops dot com uh the all the list of players to watch are again at the bashhoops.com thursday friday saturday here at ridgeview it's, it's an event as you said these holiday tournaments that are now tipping off it's an event that really uh, people just in my opinion don't want to miss uh coach combs the, these holiday tournaments and of course i guess we have to go back to the beach ball down here at Sacasti that uh, coach dan tony started way back when with the folks down here at the beach uh, that was sort of the 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 flashpoint, I think, for these kind of events all around the country and around South Carolina. And as as you two are both coaches, ads in our state, uh, what what level of pride do you have in that our state's sort of been a leader uh, in in putting these tournaments together and and ma- having great success? Of course, we've got the Chick Fil A Classic coming up in Columbia, which is huge. Uh, tournament up in Rock Hill, I believe, which is huge. Um, why South Carolina, Coach Combs? Why do you think this state in particular has been successful with these events? Well, I mean, Phil, we've, we've just been very fortunate. Uh, people here like basketball. As a matter of fact, they love basketball. And it's events, you know, when, when South Carolina was good and Clemson's been good at times. But you have events even like the, the Nike Peach Jam, probably the premier yeah. mm-hmm. AU event. Um, but the uh, but the uh, beach ball classic. It, it's when you think of uh, holiday tournaments. I mean, that's the best. I mean, that's the one that started it all. Um, I would put our small. I call it a small state. Our small state against any state in the country when it comes to high level high school um, basketball tournaments and, and showcases. You know, when we f- first started doing the the bash and different things, Brian, we, we you know he would tell you, you know, we may have had to reach out and kind of, uh, I don't want to say beg people, but really entice people to come to these type of events. But now people are reaching out to him. You know, people are wanting to come to this as a destination where you're going to play, um, you know, really good teams. And I'll tell you one thing that really sets, you know, the beach ball, the Chick-fil-A classic and the bash apart is the environment at the games. The environment at the games, you know, sometimes when you watch ESPN, they'll have two high-level teams, the gym will be half empty. These type of events, they're not. It's a great environment in there. And what also helps us is we have really good high school basketball 
team, good teams in our state. So we're we're pitting the best in South Carolina against the best from all over the country, and very competitive. And in many cases, sometimes you know our teams uh, win those games. John Combs and Brian Rosefield with us here tonight on Sports Talk, talking some high school hoops as we get ready for the bash at Ridgeview High School, getting set to start tomorrow. And guys, either one of you can jump in on this, but is this one of the rare occasions where Oak Hill Academy is not the premier star attraction? Because uh, you were talking earlier about how good Long Island Lutheran is. Oak Hill doesn't normally play second fiddle to anybody. Are, Are they in this tournament, though? Well, I'll jump in on that one and I will tell you, right now, Long Island Lutheran is ranked higher. Uh, but you you look at, obviously, who the head coach now is at, at Oak Hill Academy. And, uh, and Yerick Stoneman, who was here for six years, did just a phenomenal mm-hmm. job. Um, they are they are still Oak Hill. And right now, they might not be highly ranked as, as the Long Island Lutheran. But they are they are loaded. I was actually up there a few weeks ago watching watching them play. And I'll tell you what. They have some kids that can really shoot a kid going to Michigan, kids going to TCU, kid going to Vanderbilt. Uh, that's a, that's another roster. They're, they're still the Oak Hill of old and uh, excited for, for our guy, Eric Stoneman, and what he's doing up there. I was going to no, say, go ahead. I think it's pretty funny. That they talk about they're not as highly ranked. I think they're still 10th in the country <laughs> in some polls. <laughs> I mean, that, that is outstanding. I mean, if you were to ask the common high school basketball fan, most people can still recognize Oak Hill Academy. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, they're still going to be one of the major, if not major, draws, even though they might not be the highest ranked. I mean, we're talking about not uh, – you're talking about uh, nationally ranked teams, multiple teams in one event. That's tremendous. Yeah, down year for Oak Hill is uh, finishing in the top ten nationally. Coach Cubs, I've always wondered this from a high school basketball coach's perspective. How difficult is this time of year when you may have had your football team carry several of your players deep into the playoffs and then you finally get them back? How difficult is that sort of to assimilate? Uh, because my guess is several, of, if you have football players who also play basketball, they're several of your top athletes. So how much time does it take to work them back into a, a typical rotation for you? this year, last year, on down the road, whatever the case may be? No two years are the same. I mean, I've had years – this first of all, it's extremely difficult. I mean, I've had one year where I was fortunate when we were at Ridgeview. I had one football player playing in the North-South game, one playing in the Shrine Bowl, and they both had to report at, at, on the same day when we were playing Irmo High School, and we ended up getting – uh, that day we got throttled by 40 uh, because we, we were missing those two guys. And we had Brian Quick we ended up playing in the NFL and, and Brandon King. And second time we played them, we actually beat them when they were number one in the state. So every team is very different in how they handle that, and every kid is very different. It, it's certainly not easy. I know Dutch Fork will be getting a player or two back, you know, coming up. So when it comes to time for region play, you know, they'll be okay. Gaffney had a lot of football players back in the day, and they ended up being okay when they had their good little run with Sidney Rice and a lot of them. So it just takes a little bit of time this time of year. Gentlemen, we want to thank you. Uh, Brian, good luck with the bash. Uh, Any tickets available or everything sold out? Tickets are still available. I've been telling people the best deal in town to me is the three-day general admission package. All the VIPs are sold out, unfortunately. But, Phil, if you come, Chris, even you will get you in the hospitality room. Oh, thank uh, you. We still have some some general admission passes available. And we we will be selling them at the door as long as they're available, but we really want fans to go ahead 
get those tickets at thebashhoops.com. You'll save a little bit of money, too, getting them online as well. Well, listen, you guys have uh, a great weekend watching the hoops. We're down here watching high school all-star football. Uh, Coach Combs, thank you, sir. We'll talk with you again next week, hooping and hollering. Uh, and, and, Brian, anytime you want to join in to talk some hoops with Coach Combs, you're certainly welcome to. All right. Well, don't don't say that twice. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you all for talking <laughs> appreciate about it, the Hey, Thank you all very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Brian. There you go. High school See, basketball hoops. It pays hoops. to know people. It pays to know people. We can be VIPs, That's, even though neither one of us is a very important person, but they think yeah. we are. But you know both of these guys from your USC uh, towel-carrying days, didn't you? <laughs> no, I don't remember them from there, but in a former life when I had a show here in Florence, I would always get those guys on to preview the bash because normally there was a PD area team involved in the tournament. So I wanted to give them a little plug in whomever it was, South Florence, Wilson, you know, Hartsville, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, those are two really, really good guys and a credit to high school basketball here in our state, and they're right. I'm not sure we devote enough attention to how good high school basketball is here in South Carolina. And, Chris, thank you in advance for allowing me to use your pass that you're going to get for this tournament as nah, somebody living locally. I, I, would, I would love to go see that. Go enjoy, my go. friend. There, we go. there you go. All right, we're going to run to the break, and then Scott Early will join us on the other side. And then following that, SC Wild is coming up. want to mention the passing of former Clemson baseball great Doug Kingsmore. Passed away today, Mr. Kingsmore. Uh, the stadium named after him up at Clemson. And um, the uh, the Gamecocks lost uh, like their number one fan passed away. Uh, Gamecock, Gamecock Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to hear Say about that. that. Yeah. We'll be back after this break. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. Farm Bureau Insurance's agricultural roots and ties to South Carolina farmers have shaped the company's culture and work ethic, providing a unique customer experience. Customers are treated like people, not policies. Now, while other insurance companies may have a one-size-fits-all approach to handling customers, we believe you need to be valued and treated right. Our claims professionals work until the job is done, and our agents still believe in the commitment that comes with a handshake. Call Buddy Bridges and Clinton and Lawrence at 864-923-217 for all of your auto, home, and life insurance needs. Hi, this is Major Billy Downer, and coming up tonight at 7.30, it's another edition of SC Wild from the Department of Natural Resources on the Sports Talk Media Network. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. Hi, this is Lisa Hosteller-Brown. Do you know the difference between a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust? 
The difference could easily save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in long-term care costs. Visit LawyerLisa.com to schedule a consultation today. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Daddy, you need a trust. Hi, this is Billy Downer from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Are you looking for a safe place to shoot your rifle or handgun? Did you know that the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources operates four manned ranges across the state in Pickens County, Spartanburg County, Richland County, and Charleston County? For more information on our public ranges, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash shooting. Avoiding excess financial stress from the holidays doesn't take a Christmas miracle. All it takes is a Christmas loan from Founders Federal Credit Union. Our Christmas loan is designed to ease your Yuletide expenses so you can focus on what matters most, spreading joy and love. With our great rates, flexible repayment options, and outstanding service, you'll be ready for whatever the holidays might throw your way. So instead of putting that unexpected sleigh repair on next year's wish list, visit foundersfcu.com slash Christmas loan to unwrap your own magic this Christmas. Relax with Founders Federal Credit Union. Terms and conditions apply. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. The stars do shine brighter at the beach as some of the best senior high school football players in South Carolina will be on display Saturday in the 76th annual Touchstone Energy Cooperative Bowl. This is Phil Cornblue. Be sure to join us for our broadcast starting at noon from Doug Shaw Memorial Stadium. We'll have it all from kickoff to postgame, plus the announcement of Mr. Football at halftime. That's the Touchstone Energy Cooperative Bowl this Saturday at noon on the Sports Talk Media Network. Okay, Scott, early in just a second, should mention that USC cornerback O'Donnell Fortune uh, apparently plans to return to school after reaching a financial agreement with the Garnet Trust. So they found a number to agree on, and uh, he'll be returning to South Carolina, allegedly, for next season. Let's welcome in Scott Early, the uh, director. Oh, we don't have him. We'll get to Coach Early in just a second. We'll have Coach Early with us here in just a moment. And then S.C. Wild at the bottom of the hour with Major Billy Downer. So a couple of other notes to mention while we've got a second. That is uh, Florida State receiver Johnny Wilson, the big tall guy, is entering the NFL draft. And the Belmont Stakes will be the Saratoga Stakes, I guess, for a year. You know, they're doing a lot of work at Belmont. They're moving the ah, Belmont okay. Stakes to Saratoga, prized the prize now up to $2 million. The race will be shortened. You know, it's always been the longest race yeah, right. of the Triple Crown. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, Coach Early. Got about five minutes before the bottom of the hour. Welcome, Coach. How are you, sir? I'm great, Phil. How about y'all? We're terrific. Thank you for joining us. I know you're in the middle of um, dinner and meetings and all that, but I wanted to have you on very quickly because, unfortunately, I had to go over to Cliff Ellis today, but you guys are having a very important press conference at the Touchstone Energy Bowl practices today. Fill us in on what y'all were talking about. Well, Phil, I, it, you know, the Cliff Ellis thing is what I'd like to say first. I, I think that we had an opportunity to really reach way out there, and, you know, I, I love Coach Ellis, but I think our coverage got split a little bit, but you know, we had a great press conference today. Uh, we had uh, Adam Piper, 
myself, Ian. We had the chief of police from Myrtle Beach. We had some uh, very uh, uh, powerful dignitaries. We had a great press conference. And, you know, when I first started this coaches versus opioids, I was just trying to make a splash and try to do something that, you know, I feel like being in this new role, you know, my job is to do everything for everything I can for the coaches and the kids in the state of South Carolina. You know, what what better way to get the word out than through coaches? Because, you know, I know you and a lot of us old school guys, you know, our our JV basketball coach or our football coach or, or our volleyball coach or our swim coach probably made a bigger impact in our life than our parents did because, you know, it's, it, it takes a big commitment to be an athlete these days. And I thought that was a way to get the message out. And I thought it was a way for me to come in in a different role and make a difference. And I, I never knew it was going to have this much impact, but it's been wonderful. The day was awesome. Um, I know we lost some cameras because of, of Cliff retiring, but <laughs> I hope this story will grow because it's, it's one of them that might make you shed a tear. Well, in our final two minutes, real quick, the message that you're trying to get out to high school students, young people, athletes, what is the message coming from the press conference? Well, I mean, I think that, I think, you know, I'm like everybody else. I know the world's stirred up right now in a mess, but, you know, this is probably more important than sending money to Ukraine. The style of killer is teenage athletes that, think they're taking Adderall and it says 31 and they're taking opioid it says 13 and this program actually factually data wise backs up that education is 90% of the cure so what 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 better way do we have in society to use high school athletics which is the only pure thing left in the world today mm-hmm. to get the message out so um I'm not going to call out communities or because that would be against some HIPAA law or whatever, but, you know, I've had people call and say, hey, can I get more? Can you send me more? Can you – and this, you know, people don't like to talk about it, but the coach association stands fully by – and I just happened to get lucky. I flew to Texas, try to learn what the best do, met Adam Piper, met Alan Wilson, um, talked to some legislators and um, – in year one, we beat everybody in the country, and you know how like I beat it for you know you know how much I like to be first. But mm. I think that if you give us some time, we can we can put South Carolina on the national stage for a really good cause that people don't want to talk about. Well, it is a great and cause. I'm just keeping it real. I know you wanted me to make you laugh and do whatever, but this 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 is pretty important. And, um, I think it's I think the best way to get it's like Billy Graham says. The best way to get the message out is through your coaches. Yep. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. We'll talk more with you about that probably at the ball game on Saturday or tomorrow night when we see you or Friday. Thank you, Coach. We've got to go to the bottom of the hour break, and we'll be back. Now on Sports Talk, it's SC Wild with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer is here to take your questions about the great outdoors in South Carolina. Give him a call at 888-898-2525. It's SC Wild from DNR on the Sports Talk Radio Network. 
Okay, always great to have Major Billy Downer from the Department of National Resources with us. Another edition of SC Wild from DNR here on Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. First time with the Major since the Thanksgiving holiday, so we wish, uh, hope that he had a great uh, holiday with the family and the friends and the newcomer and cooked some good turkey and just it just had a lot of fun in the great outdoors. And he's got a special guest tonight, Major. Welcome in. Great to have you with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Still duck season. No, yeah. That's it, Phil. Yeah, we're still in duck season. So, yes, we have a special guest tonight. Molly Neese is joining us again. She is a state waterfowl project leader, lives down on the coast. Molly, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, Major Downer, appreciate y'all having me on today. Good. So we're going to do, uh, since the first season, the Thanksgiving season's over, we're getting ready to start the second season here pretty strong. We want to give a report to folks that may be wondering what uh, our waterfowl outlook was for the first season as far as our Category 1 areas. Remember, again, there are two types of hunting areas with DNR. There's Category 1, which are what we call our draw hunts. Typically, you have to put in uh, back in the September to October freight, uh, uh, time period, and when it opens and you pay a fee and you pay for a few years and then you get you, you, to get your points, and you get drawn after a few years typically when your points build up to where you're, you're selected at the top of the pool. Uh, and then we have our Category 2 areas, which are walk-in basically, first come, first serve. Our Category 1 areas this year, uh, it's been interesting to look at some of the numbers and where – uh, ducks were the top of the deal at 5.3 ducks per man. I know you love that, Phil, 5.3. What does a .3 duck look like? I'm not <laughs> sure. But 5.3 ducks per man, Murphy Island led the way. Um, Murphy Island had, uh, for more, more than anything else, we, we were looking at probably looks like Gabwall was number one duck in the bag, followed by Greenwing Teal and then American Widgeon, no ball paint, uh, in third place. In second place, at 5.2 ducks per man, interestingly enough, uh, Bear Island Springfield cut came back. Uh, I, we've talked about that area. It was really good. It kind of gone down. This year, number two area the first couple weeks, uh, a lot of quality ducks there. 36, you know, the top duck was green-winged teal. The number two duck, interestingly enough, was the northern pintail. So pintails were number two at Springfield Cut. That's always going to get somebody's attention. That's at Bear Island. And then in number three, tied model ducks uh, and blue-winged teal. So model duck number is very high there as well. Um, and that's second place. And then our third place uh, winner basically at 5.1 ducks per man we had a, uh, you know, basically that's going to be the Kate. Uh 5.1 Kate came in third. Their top duck in the bag again uh, was very simply, um, uh, pardon me while I read my numbers, I was getting off mm-hmm. for a second. But the, the, the numbers here, looks like Gadwall again. Gadwall were, were number one again there, uh, followed closely by Blue Wing Teal and green wing teal. So interestingly enough there, blue wing and green wing, uh, blue wing teal, excuse me, and the northern shoveler rounded us out. The shoveler rounded us out. So blue wing teal, interestingly enough, probably because it's still early season while blue wings are still around, typically they're going to move out uh, and maybe go further south. 
But that's our one, two, and three. Number one, again, Murphy Island uh, at Santee Coastal. Number two was Springfield Cut at Bear Island. Number three was uh, the Cape, uh, also at Santee Coastal Reserve. So uh, that's the old Santee Gun Club. Uh, so those are the top three areas. Uh, other areas fared very, very well also. And Molly, tonight, what I really wanted to get a look at is just, you know, highlight again our waterfowl areas. So many people don't understand the amount of work that goes into these areas. And I, I can't harp enough, particularly the coastal areas where you're dealing with um, tides, king tides, where it just floods over the top of the tides when you get a flood like we had. And even when you don't have that big 2015 flood, there's just sometimes the environment just creates the perfect storm and we get that king tide or a heavy tide pushes in and it'll break a dike and then you've got salt water in impoundment. Tell us about what that does to those waterfowl impoundments, Molly. What, what does salt water do in there? Yeah, you know, salt water can really change your, your management regime, really the types of plants and various things that you're managing for, natural foods that waterfowl are, are going to eat here in the coastal area. So, uh, so more salt can really, uh, can really change you from an environment where you're targeting, you know, like smart weeds and beneficial wild millets and things to where those type plants aren't growing there anymore. And so you're kind of having to manipulate your water levels more to really target widgeon grass, the wolf spike rush and other 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 rushes and things that really uh you know produce seed but also produce a lot of small bugs and vertebrates as we like to call them that are really high protein sources really beneficial for ducks and uh really highly sought after too so you know a lot of water and too much water can really really change the the target plant community that you're going for when you're when you're managing for for habitat for waterfowl so um, lots of things that, that salt will do for you. So but those tides too can be really problematic when it comes to, to managing your water control structures and your dikes, which, you know, keep your water in certain places and, and, or, and uh, in the impoundments and, and separated from the river. So it can cause us a lot of problems. So, so let, let's talk historically for a minute. So most of our impoundments that we're managing, correct if I'm wrong, are old rice impoundments. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Historically, these places so, were, were places that were grown in rice in the 1700s, 1800s. Correct. So we're talking about the Carolina rice, Carolina gold, whatever you want to call it, that rice crop that was grown here. Um, and so you, you, you drain those fields off, you throw the rice out in the mud, the rice begins to grow, and eventually you can flood that rice um, and, you know, manage out the weeds basically with water uh, was how That's they right. did that. So let's talk just reality for a minute for folks that may not know this. Is there any rice left? You know, there's there's very few places. There's there's a handful out there folks that are growing uh growing rice along the coast for uh for kind of the novelty of it or some some specialty rices like you mentioned, the Carolina Gold, real real really good rice that they eat. Ducks like them as well. But you know, the places that we can really grow rice um in the Carolinas anymore is, is pretty minimal, you know. Um, partially because of saltwater intrusion, and then the other part is just, you know, our, our mud, if you've hunted Santee Coastal Reserve or Bear Island, you know, they're pretty tough, pretty unforgiving environments to really navigate on foot. And so, you know, growing rice in those type areas, if, if salt wasn't still an issue, it was really a challenging environment. So it really takes a specialized piece of property um, to be able to grow rice anymore. So it does still occur on a small a small set of, of tidal wetlands in South Carolina, but uh, but 
nothing like we experienced, you know, in the, in the heyday of rice culture in South Carolina. So. Sure. But is, so is there any variety of wild rice that grows in our impoundment still? Yeah, you know, there's in some tidal areas, you'll see a, a southern wild rice that grows, um, grows in our tidal areas. And But, you know, by the time we get to duck season, usually what wild rice is produced on those plants has usually been picked off by by blackbirds and those little bir- birds that are foraging through. So there's typically not even a lot of wild rice that's really, uh, really, really prevalent in South Carolina anymore that, that's at a high enough level that's beneficial for waterfowl. That's why I asked that. I need, so... Let's talk about, so our fields that we manage, we do a combination of some um, wetland management or, uh, or moist soil management where we're managing, like you said, smart weed, um, spike rush, uh, and grass, those kind of things. Then there's the fields that we drain off, we dry out, we actually plant row crop and then flood, correct? Exactly. Yep, yep. So, 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 multiple so what kind of row crops do we plant? You know, you'll see what kind the, of row um, crops? You'll see corn planted in some spots on our WMAs. Um, planted uh, planted millets are pretty popular, and uh, in some places you'll even see us plant some chufa. You know, just a uh, you know some of us like to call it nut grass, but a chufa really produces a nice uh, a nice small tuber that grows underground. That's really a uh, really a popular food for for ducks here in the southeast. So. Absolutely. So. When we go to the majority of our coastal impoundments, most of those are probably more soil um, and involve a lot of manipulation. Uh, Widgeon grass, things like that, they don't grow well in salt water, yes or no? Yes, widgeon grass you're going to find really at Bear Island and Santee Coastal Reserve, so places where we've got a little bit of salinity to the water, um, a little bit of salt there. And uh, we can we can manipulate water, you know, really really circulate water within impoundments is really good good for uh, propagating widgeon grass. So you want a little bit of a little bit of moving water, um, and a little bit of salt is a great is a great spot for uh, for widgeon grass growth. So let me let me highlight something else that people don't know. How do we manipulate water in our coastal impoundments? What do we use? Oh man, rice trunks, you know, which we use during the rice culture <laughs> are, are still used today. They're excellent tools. Um, you know, it's a little quick, quick snippet for you for how those structures work. That's essentially a wooden box that runs underneath the earthen structure that we call the dike or the levee. And on either side of that structure, it's got, it's got two gates, two doors that we can raise and lower. And so, uh, if we want to put water in an impoundment, we'll crack that door open on the river side of that structure, and it'll push through as the water comes up on high tide and push into the impoundment. As the tide goes falls back out on the river side, the water pressure from the inside of the impoundment pushes that inside door closed to hold that water in the impoundment. And so, we can flip that around. We want to take water off, and so uh, you know, this is a, a water control structure that's been used for hundreds and hundreds of years, and uh, we still use them today. That's what I want to talk about. I don't think people realize that we are using several hundred-year-old technology to move water, and it still works. And when they break, we rebuild them, don't we, Molly? That's right. That's right. We've got a number of DNR We have very few people that know how to do that. That's right. There's a, a handful of DNR staff that are really, really good at building those structures and a handful of uh of private uh private property managers that, that build their own structures as well. So really specialized um pieces of equipment and you know, it takes a takes a really good carpenter to build you a really good rice trunk. 
and it's designed for a tidal environment, and there's not any other structure out there that works for tidal environments the way rice trunks do. Isn't that correct? That's correct. That's correct. So when people ask, well, why don't you use a, just a riser like you do in a pond? Well, that doesn't work when you got tides because you got to have something to pull that door back shut. And, and that that's right. rice trunk is designed to float with the tide, and as it goes out, it closes the trunk and doesn't let the water back out. So exactly. the water goes in, but water doesn't come out. So I, I wanted to highlight that for a moment. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, but I just think so many people don't realize the intricacies of these old uh, rice dikes, these old impoundments, the mud that we're using, <laughs> that these dikes are built with has stayed, you know, hundreds of years of floods, but we're pulling this old mud out of ditches that really doesn't have a whole lot of substance and washes away if you get a rain at the wrong time. Is that right? That's right. You know, big uh, big rain events and big tides have caused us uh, a number of issues um, in certain parts of uh, certain parts along the coast. You know, with our our dikes and our trunks in recent years, and and um, you know we're doing our best to to put those back together to where we can really manage uh, manage these places well. But it takes a, a really specialized skill set. You know, specialized skill to build trunks, a specialized skill, skill to install them, and even uh, even equipment operators, you know, to really recognize good good mud, good good earthen material to really make sure we get these structures back in the right places so they have a lot of longevity to them. I, I know, for example, there's one particular dike I think we've rebuilt almost every year for the last four or five years. That's right. Uh, that's yeah, right. I mean, it, we, we've rebuilt it, and it, but and then there's a tidal event that comes through, or a rain event. It's like, holy cow, it's just like everything's against you. Um, and I know you've been, you're really familiar with Samworth. Samworth has been a topic, folks, that may remember Samworth from years back. We haven't hunted Samworth in a number of years, and this year, for the first time, we're actually going to hold some hunts there um, yeah. because of a lot of good work that's been done. Tell us about the yeah, work that you've done there. Yeah, we're back on the hunt schedule for the. Um, we've been off and on, but more off than since uh, than on since 2015. So really excited to, to see that property hunted again. Um, there's been a ton of of uh, infrastructure work, as we like to call it. So a lot of work to the dikes and the, and the water control structures, which are really the key to us managing good habitat. So um, if you can't control your water, uh, major downer, you, you know, you, as you know, you can't really grow duck food. So that's an important, no. important part of the puzzle. But we've done a lot of work there. Um, our staff has put in a tremendous amount of time, tremendous amount of effort of repairing dikes and water control structures uh, ourselves. We've also partnered um, with Ducks Unlimited and have secured some national coastal wetland grants and uh, some NALCA money, so some um, some grant funds there to really rehabilitate about half of the property. So, uh, so some some of the larger wetlands have been rehabilitated and really intensively managed here in the past year and a half. So, really got a lot of beneficial millets and smart weeds um, and other uh, other good moist soil plants that are really beneficial for waterfowl forage and even for refuge um, back up and uh, really really looking good on the property. So, we're excited to see. Uh, See improved habitat conditions for uh, for the public hunter, you know, that may hunt the impoundments or may hunt just adjacent to them in the in the, uh, in the rivers there. So, a lot of good stuff going on, and really really excited to see what happens there this season. Absolutely. So, uh, one of the things we haven't talked about, we talked about good plants, 
Let's talk about bad plants. What are some of the challenges in the coastal environment? I'm going I'm to bring up two words that are probably the bane of your existence. White oh, no, no, not, not that word. What is it? White marsh. What is it? White marsh. White marsh. A giant hmm. cut grass is what, what some people will call it. So um, environments that you'll see, uh, you see this white marsh or giant cut grass grow. If, if you've ever walked through the marsh in a really tall, thick grass, and uh, it's just, it's a, uh, it's 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 really sharp edges, you know. It's 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 true to his name with cut grass, as you you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, sometimes great to hide a hunter in, but it's not really good duck habitat. Doesn't really provide any forage value for a duck, and it's so dense. Ducks don't really even like to get in it to hide, and so you'll get uh, white alligators like in to hide in it, Phil. Hmm. So you know, they Phil, do. Alligators do like to hide in it. Yes, they do. So. Uh, so you'll see white marsh in some of these impoundments, some of these tidal impoundments to where we just can't quite get the water low enough um, during the growing season. So white marsh is a plant that we call uh, anaerobic, which is just a fancy word that means it likes to grow in low oxygen conditions. So um, so if you've got water saturated on a, on a field bed, um, you know, you've got low oxygen conditions, which promotes white marsh and really makes it challenging to grow our more beneficial plants that ducks like to eat. And so um, where that problem comes in is when we can't get water levels low enough on a field um, to really to really knock that white marsh back. And, and a lot of those problems come when you can't get uh, a field low, water levels low enough on a field. You know, you walk around that field as a manager and you say, all right, do I have, a, do I have a, an issue with my dikes where I got water leaking through my dikes? Or do I have an issue where I've got a water control structure leaking, such as a trunk? And so, um, so usually that's, that's your best case scenario is that you got an infrastructure problem that you can come in and fix. Your worst case scenario is some of what we're experiencing, um, on Samworth and then private properties all around Samworth on the Waccamaw PD River system. You know, what we're really seeing in tide gauges, um, on the East Coast, really, if you look specifically from, from Georgia up to Beaufort, North Carolina, we're really seeing since 2007 an average increase of 10 millimeters of water sea level rise a year um, throughout that, that section of the Atlantic. So if you kind of think, well, how much is 10 millimeters a year? If you think about um, since 2007 when we really started looking hard at that data, that's an increase in, in sea level um, in our area, specifically in the Waccamaw PD, of, of about six and a quarter inches um, of extra mm -hmm. water. Um, and so, so Billy, when we're thinking about, you know, low tide is really, really important when we talk about managing uh, for white marsh because low tide allows those trunks to really pull adequate water off of those fields. And, um, you know, if you got a tide, a low tide that's six and a half, almost inches higher um, over the past 16 years than, than what we're historically used to, you know, it really makes it challenging to, to pull off adequate water to, to reduce our density of white marsh. And so... But um, there's some things we can do to combat that. And those things have been going on at Samworth here for about the past three or four years where we're going back in and we're, we're reinstalling some historic drainage within the fields called quarter drains. Um, that term goes mm -hmm. all the way back to the rice culture era. And so it's just small ditches that are installed throughout the, uh, throughout the field bed that really helps us kind of pull more water off that field. And so doing a lot. Phil, let me go ahead and tell you, if you're walking across one of these waterfowl pounds with duck hunting, you mm. better on the coast. You better have a paddle, a stick, because if you hit a quarter drain, you're done. You will go you're down, your hat. and you may not you may not come back up. <laughs> That's right. A quarter drains that much she's talking about. If you step in it, yeah, you float your hat, and you may stick and have to pull. I've had to sit there and 
beg somebody to come back to me to pull it, me out of it. it, it is, is, they're terrible. Is that like quicksand like we used to see in the Tarzan <laughs> movies, quicksand? Yeah. It's as bad as quicksand I ever thought about being. It is it's just <laughs> plus mud. It is muck. It smells. And when you step in it and you get into a quarter's rain and you didn't know it was coming, that's why I always take a paddle in front of me and push, push, push. That's so right. You feel that quarter drain. But if you don't and you hit that quarter drain at a full gate, you're going mm. down. Mm. So, yeah. It makes for a great funny memory, but it's not very funny at the time. But anyway. That's right. That's I digress. Right. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. So, White Marsh, we're working on that. A lot of things, herbicides, burning, all kind of things. I know that you're doing water levels to try to control that. I think, to me, one of the highlights of what happens when we do fix dikes, Springfield Cut was open for, what, a year or two? And now look at where it's at this year. It's the number two area in the state. That's right. This, That's right, first yeah. season. So, and, and they had a, br- a breach in the dike for the last couple of years they kept having to deal with, I think I'm right. So, yeah, it took a, took a big breach during Hurricane Matthew in 2016 and really kind of kind of changed the dynamics of that portion of uh of bear island but it's, it's great to see that coming back you know we've really had a good a good showing for our lottery hunt sites um during the first split you know i, I don't think uh i don't think major downer i don't think most people realize the significance of a of harvest averages that high you know most most places public land harvest averages are average closer to two across the nation so five is really Absolutely. really significant so, i mean it's over five that means most people a lot of people got the limit, got six. Right, with um, one box of You get 5.3, those, yeah, those three-tenths, Phil, that three-tenths of a duck means that somebody was getting six ducks. <laughs> That's right. Before we got that three-tenths right. of a duck. So uh, Phil's always had funny, fun asking me, what's well, a 4.4 duck look like? I, I've well, always thought the percentage of the – It's a wing and a leg. Well, I, I've always thought the percentage of the duck was what was left after your buckshot hit it, you know, and took it down. No buckshot, Phil. We don't use buckshot. That would be a lead shot. That would be illegal. Mm. Plus buckshot would be overkill for the ducks. That we, we don't, that's that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. I understand that. Yes, I understand that. Right. Yeah. But um, so we got a few, like a minute, maybe two minutes left, Molly. What? message would you like us to, to, to leave with tonight about our waterfowl projects across the state for those that no, may not know absolutely so yeah a lot of a lot of effort as always you know to really produce the, the best quality habitat that we can and we've got a lot of exciting stuff that has gone on over the past year to two years with a lot of our really big uh lottery hunt properties where we we've, we've got you know millions of dollars invested in some of these properties with uh with uh with wetlands grants and other things in cooperation with Ducks Unlimited. So we're really doing everything we can to really produce the best habitat that we can to provide good opportunities for um, those on our lottery hunts and then our public land hunters that hunt waterways and, and other parts of our WMAs. So those Category 1s and Category 2s are really important for us. And I hunt them myself, you know. I, uh, I look forward to my, my lottery Me too. for a few years. And, and um, I enjoy those Category 2s and our other public land opportunities as well. So... So really looking category forward to the one, Absolutely. Category one so popular we had just short of 5,000 people put in, 4,911 mm. people put in. That's incredible that, that many people put in um, for our lottery hunts. I just uh, That's just a really incredible. And 1,022 people got selected 
So it used to be in the old days, three times you put in for three years, you get drawn. Now it's pretty much your fifth year if you're real selective. I checked on okay. that and looked at that. The folks that want to know about that, you know, you have to get your preference points, which means the years you don't get drawn. So don't give up. Keep putting in um, that fourth or fifth year. You're going to get drawn probably, and you'll have a great hunt. Uh, again, thanks, Molly, for being a part of tonight's show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Major. Fantastic job. And thank you, Molly. Great stuff. That'll do it for tonight. Thank you for listening to Sports Talk. Thank you for listening to SC Wild from DNR. And we'll see you tomorrow night.